This Choircast podcast is brought to you by Honoring the Journey, a brand new podcast co-hosted by Leslie Neese and Karen Schock. Imagine that life is like a journey where we're all traveling our own path and soaking in the sights. Then imagine someone taking you gently by the hand and showing you a little bit of the path that they're traveling. You learn from them, see the sights that they see from their perspective, and then you jump back on your own path tucking beautiful pieces of their journey in your heart with you. A life journey is so beautiful and even more so when we get to hear from the perspectives of others who may see things differently, believe things differently, and even experience their journey in a different way. Let's honor these powerful journeys together and see how our hearts and lives expand as we journey together. Subscribe today to Honoring the Journey with Leslie Neese and Karen Schock. Hey, heathens. You're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast where religion and crime collide. I'm Lola. And I'm Lacey. And this shit is careless. The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. Why do I smile when I say it? I sound like I'm happy when I say it. Well, no, because it's, okay, you guys, it's hard to find a word, especially because we try to not reuse the same words. So when we find a word that like really does accurately describe the case we're talking about, it's exciting. And so I think that's why we smile when we say the word. It is a little bit. And mostly because we think of the words like 10 minutes before we hit record. (laughs) We do. We get on, we talk, and then we're like, oh, are you ready? Shit, I don't have a word. (laughs) And then we just want to say, this shit is shitty or this shit is fucked every time but we can't do that this is like one day we were like Lily goes let's just go through the alphabet and you were like (laughs) I don't I can't remember astounding is what you said for A and then you were like atrocious atrocious and then you were like B what's what's a word for B and I go bad bad and she's like oh (laughs) shit (laughs) what's a B word that's bad Mm, bad bad You fucking idiot. Anyway. We all have our moments. Okay. Today we're talking about Aaron Caffey. You know about this. I do know this case, but I know it. It's been a really long time since I've heard this case. I know like just the gist of it. I do not remember any of the details. I mainly, what makes me think of Aaron Caffey is, or what I think of when I think of Aaron Caffey is I know a girl that we're mutuals with, that I'm mutuals with on TikTok. And she used to work in a Texas prison. And they asked her, I think she volunteered with something. And so nobody wanted to volunteer with Aaron and they wanted somebody I think that was like smaller and a little younger so that maybe that Aaron could like talk with Mm -hmm. and they didn't tell her what her crime was I think they told her like it was pretty bad but they didn't tell her specifics and then she kind of like goes in and sees Aaron and gets to know her but then it kind of like goes down south I don't want to ruin any of the case and so I don't know any of it uh, any of what you're saying about this. I know. Uh, I'll, oh, never I'll, mind. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Re- yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know what you're saying. So uh, we'll link, I'll find those videos. I will find okay, those videos and we'll link them down in the show notes so you guys can go watch them after you listen to this case because it's it was crazy. Like, and it's somebody who has, I'll talk about it more after we go into the case, but it's somebody who has like one-on-one experience with Aaron after the cases and, and everything and... Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Fucking crazy. I'm excited for that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we gotta watch that. 
So, Aaron Caffey, born July 27th of 91, a Leo. Can you oh, believe it? How I'm many sorry. fucking Leos are going to be <laughs> are going to be killers? Honestly, I've got to start tracking this. Us Leos, we're we're a little bold, so like it honestly doesn't shock me. You're either very mild or you're fucking feral. We, there's we're extremes. Like there's the pendulum is as one side or the other. There's no middle ground. But I'll tell you, all Sagittarius, all of us, the SAG, SAG squad, whatever. <laughs> SAG squad. That sounds like a biker group of old ladies anyway. <laughs> I was thinking of sagging ball sacks, but anyway. Oh. <laughs> well, all of us SAGs are most certainly dreamers. Yeah. And a little, a little wild. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little unhinged, but there's no mild part of us. Yeah. It's all or it's nothing. Full send, baby. Yeah, like I know about astrology, but I I don't. (laughs) It's fine. Who really knows anything (sighs) about it? So Aaron came from a conservative and very protective family. Can you believe it? No. Yeah, she had two younger brothers, Matthew and Tyler. And um, her dad, her dad was her dad. <laughs> her dad was her, her dad, dad was her dad. No big deal. <laughs> he okay. So he was technically so he was a preacher, but like not officially. So he wasn't like ordained and shit. He just like would speak for the congregation and things at gotcha. the church that they went to. So okay, like he was a pastor, but just um didn't have quite like the credentials that maybe are required now. Yeah. Sometimes it's not required at all, actually. Yeah. So, you know. It, yeah. Uh, like some, it depends on the, mini- the denomination. Like some denominations yeah. are more strict on you being like ordained. And, Catholic, you gotta be ordained. Yeah, ordained, gone to seminary and had some kind of theological background based off the denomination that you're you know, trying to preach in. And I think that most Baptist preachers do have to go to seminary. I just think that maybe this was a smaller congregation. I didn't look too heavily into the church. Mm-hmm. But so they went to Miracle Faith Baptist Church. Oh. Which is just like your run-of-the-mill, very Texan, very conservative Republican, who's you what's it, you know? Baptist there's a reason they call it Southern Baptist. You know, there's like Baptists on every fucking corner in the South, so. Yeah, so um, her family, you know, they were all pretty like tight-knit and they did a lot of stuff in the church. Specifically, Erin was the pianist, but also she was more well-known for her singing voice. Ah. She was like the main, she was the main one. And she like, she would bring people to tears she would even, like, she'd get emotional. Damn. Like, maybe the message of the song just, like, pricked her heart or something, but God. she got really into it. And she was young. She was quite young to be doing this. I mean, I think she started doing it when she was, like, eight Damn. or something. Yeah. So, <sighs> she was a singer. You know. You know how it goes. I just, like, if she's that, like, being that moved and that powerful as, as like, a worship you know, singer. Mm-hmm. I want to say worship leader, but like she was so young. Yeah, she kind of. Basically, yeah. Like I just, I'm trying to 
Like I would think that it eventually she would have probably become like a mega church worship leader, Hillsong type something. Yeah. Her mom was also a minister too. Ladies ministry, things, okay. children's ministry, all that good shit. That the whole family. It's just Yeah. They're all devoted. in it all the time. Yep. Very devout. So everything with her childhood is like a normal American girl type deal, you know? No red flags. She's got, you know, the, the picket fence, the sprinkler, the bare feet, you know, all that mm-hmm. good stuff. <laughs> Wouldn't, would you consider her at this age and around this time, like a classic Southern Belle type? I guess Southern Belle automatically makes me think of poofy dresses is my problem. <laughs> but like, <laughs> she's just like a classic country girl, you know? Yeah. And I think Southern Belle is what I think of when I say Southern Belle is more of like very nice, very sweet, kind, follows the rules, you know, goes to church, that kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. If that's how we classify Southern Belle, that's what she is. Now I'm going to Google it. Keep going. I'm going to Google it. Can you? Yeah. Figure that out for us. So she grows up normal childhood in Alba, Texas. And Celeste, Texas. Okay. I have no idea where these places are. Do you? Yeah. Miss Texan? The You said Albist and Celeste. I Alba think, and then Celeste. I think those are in East Texas. Oh. But I'm going to look them up because Texas is fucking huge. And so. It's so true. Okay. A Southern Belle is a collo- colloquialism. Colloquialism. Cloaca. <laughs> it's a cloaca, and that's all. Colloquialism. Colloquialism for a debutante in the planter class of the antebellum South. So a Southern Belle is a girl who is expected to grow up into a lady. Mm-hmm. So like fragile, flirtatious, sexually innocent, stuff like that. See, that's that's what I'm thinking of when you yeah. say Southern Belle. I'm okay. thinking okay. that yeah. girl that's a debutante, that's very like prim and proper and very pretty and made to be a stay-at-home mom. I think though nowadays, because that whole like debutante thing is very much of the past, Dead. I think most people call like Southern Bells just like, like what you said, like expected to grow up as a lady and like be a good girl, like be that, like like you said, housewife but also be flirtatious, but also sexually innocent. Like, yeah, you're just yeah. the little perfect. It's just evolved a little bit. Okay, I am such a fucking badass when it comes to Texas because it is East Texas. It is a couple, it's a couple hours um, east of Dallas is where um, Alba is. And then you said Celeste. How do you spell that? Yeah. C-E-L-E-S-T-E. Sweet. Because I would have not spelled it that way. Yeah, okay. So Celeste is a little bit, north of Alba and a little bit closer to Dallas area. So they're pretty close to like McKinney and Greenville, if you're familiar with the Texas area right outside like Dallas and Plano. So yeah, (laughs) I am so proud of myself that I was like, I think that's East Texas. I love that. (gasps) Look at me. You did us good. Geography. Girly. For those that don't know, I was born and raised in Texas, but Texas is. Huge. I think they should know if they've listened to any point of the podcast. I know, I feel right? Like your Texan roots come up. I do. Yeah. So they started out in Alba, Texas, and then when she was thirteen, they moved to Celeste, Texas, so they could be closer to the Miracle Faith um, Baptist Church. Okay. So she's at thirteen. Something happens, though. So like okay. we've normal childhood until thirteen. Thirteen is a very formative age. Thirteen. 
I was about to say, 13 is a formative age. (laughs) Fucking critical age. Like, what grade are you in at 13? You're in what, like, a freshman? Eighth and ninth. Okay. She, this one says, okay, she, Erin started eighth grade at a public school. Okay. At at this age. And her parents. Oh, no. Found out that a girl at school tried to kiss Erin. Oh, no. The horror. Firstly. Bisexuality is a serious threat in the mind of this family. Welcome to the South. Her father, his name is Terry. Uh, mm-hmm. He said that his family was just shocked and blamed bisexual culture for confusing his daughter. I don't know if Erin kissed this person back. I don't know if she had asked this person to or if she had maybe initiated. Not sure because nothing else came from it because the Caffey's abruptly pulled all of their children out of school and began homeschooling them. That, oh my God, that's so sad. Because (sighs) this is a critical age for your child. And like something as small as trying to kiss. Like, I don't even know if they, did they technically kiss I don't even know if they did. That's the thing. So to be pulled out for something like this and away from all of your friends that you've known for a really long time or that you've at least gotten to know for the last little bit Mm -hmm. living here and then homeschooled? Like, I'm sorry, but like that is a critical time to be pulled out and homeschooled if you're not wanting it. Like, it's different if the kid's asking for it. I was going to say, if your child wants it, it's different. Yeah. But to just decide, okay, you're not going to school anymore. Goodbye. Uh, Over something like this. It's not like she was being bullied. It's not like her life was being threatened. It's like not saying that like homeschool is not a a great option for some people or it's needed. They just never started out with that though. No, and this is to do it at that age. mm -hmm. Ooh, damn. Say more. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the homeschooling was also uh, obviously Bible-based curriculum Mm -hmm. because you got two ministers in the home. It happens. Mm -hmm. Does it say which one they used? No. No? Okay, I'm just I didn't curious. know they had names for them. <laughs> oh, yes. They have multiple different homeschool Bible-based curriculums. Do Ab- not give them a plug on here. Any oh, of them. Okay. Do then not I'll give say. any of them a plug. <laughs> They're hilarious. God. The one that my, um, some people I know that are yeah. in private school right now that are going through a Bible-based curriculum is quite hilarious because it's all King James. You know, it's like can't divert uh, from is it like the, the King James type. Not as not as like or Bill Gothard, whatever. I know not, I mentioned that one. It's not like that before. in the sense of like what you know. What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this woman's outfit? It's not like that. It's just very like King James. They have a Bible verse they have to like memorize. I think every week, and they're the types of Bible verses that's like you get done reading it and. You have no idea what the fuck you just read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, do you really think these kids are retaining this and it's going to come in handy at all? I don't think so. I hardly retained anything. No. At any point in time. Ever. I am smooth brain. Nice. (laughs) Smooth brain. (laughs) Ha ha. Yeah, I'm not sure which one they use, but so Aaron described the homeschooling as an isolated existence, yeah, she hated it. She oh. hated it. She didn't have many friends to begin with. Yeah. And her friend group was cut down to anybody that, like, 
she was just friends with church-wise. Yeah, because that's on, that's the only place she could see him. Yeah. There, also, their house was six miles from the church. Oh, wow. So It's not too bad, though. Are you saying that's like, like that? That's far. No, I'm saying it's that's very close. Like they're just like that is close, and they were like far away from town. Oh, so that was like so they lived kind of far from town. So she was just all her social circle was just at Miracle Faith, and then she had Bible based curriculum. It's a little bit oppressive, you know, getting all yeah. that shoved at you because she loved church at the beginning. Mm-hmm. She loved being involved with it especially music. That was her passion. But it just, this was not what she bargained for. Yeah, this is, now it's her everything. Now it's all consuming. Yeah. And it's not how she grew up. Plus her two brothers are home with her now, being homeschooled. Like imagine that. And I would not want that. Her brothers are three and six years older than her, or younger than her. So. Oh, wow. Very different curriculums there that they're learning. Yeah. And probably distracting. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. So it's it's one thing if you like grew up being homeschooled, like you understand this routine, you understand this schedule. And then you have a structure. It's a, yeah, you have a structure, but to be to totally thrown into this where you didn't want it, you didn't ask for it over something so minor. So stupid. <laughs> so stupid. Right, right. When you are used to a public school setting. You're used to the interaction and the social um, aspect of public school. Yeah. yeah. It is jarring to say the least. Uh, Yeah. Well, she was looking for a way out. Okay. She, She was waiting around for it. So it took three years for her to finally break a little bit of the isolation. Three years. Shit. I know. That's yeah, so she's 16. It's July 2007. She's got a used Chevy pickup truck, which, by the way, my first car was a 99 Chevy S10. Nice. Fucking love that truck. I'm upset that I ever sold it, but it was giving me trouble. Good. So You know, as, as long as it wasn't a Ford, then you're good. It wasn't all a Ford. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a Chevy or We're Subaru good. girl. That's, that's Tyler. That's it. It's, that's t- and you're bisexual, so that t- that Subaru part totally makes sense. Uh, this, yeah, the Subaru is the huge bisexual mark for me. I don't have the slit in my eyebrow anymore. Yeah. But okay, it's funny because I did not know that that was like a bisexual thing, like the slit in the eyebrow. Yeah, and I have yeah. one, but it's not. It's I didn't. It's intentional. It's a scar. It's a scar from when I was like three years old. I have a scar through my eyebrow. So if you no, ever that was seen- God pre predestining you. <laughs> pre-destiny. You know? Pre-marking me for bisexualism. For sure. He said, this one's going to like pussy. And dick. (laughs) Jot that down. I'm going to let her like everything. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, if you follow me on social media and you've ever noticed that that line in my eyebrow, um, it was from... It's uh, not intentional. You know, it was not intentional. I I did one of those, like, booster seats that you tied to a chair, like, clipped to a chair for a little kid. Um, I clicked it to myself, and then I stood up (gasps) with it clipped (gasps) to me, and I fell. To this day, nobody, absolutely nobody knows what I hit, but I, like, busted my face open, went to the emergency room, and had to wait, like, four or five hours because it was on my face, and the doctor refused to put stitches on my face, and... 
him because I'm a little girl. And he's like, I oh will scar, I will scar her face. And that's her face. So they called in a plastic but it's surgeon. The eyebrow. Well, they called in a plastic surgeon to Damn. Because it went got the words. It went all the way down my eyebrow, down into oh. my nose. Okay. And That's the only nice. reason that you can see it in my eyebrow is because no hair grows there. Yeah, That's there's no it. follicles there. It's, it's you can yeah. you can't even see this. You, it, you, it doesn't even look like a scar. There's lipids. Mm. So I'm glad they they had the plastic surgeon. But interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. We love a plastic surgeon. Yeah, he did great. Did great on my face. Anyways, yes. All right, she's got the truck. She's ready, uh, and she. Ask her parents, can I get a job? And they're like, actually, yeah. Now that you've got this car and everything. Wow. That would make sense. Uh, so she was allowed to go to work. She actually worked at a local Sonic. Oh my gosh. That was like one of my very first jobs with Sonic. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's a classic job, you know, the all-American girl. It really is. Oh my gosh. She actually like... Okay, if you've been to a Sonic before, you normally won't see them on skates. But back in the day, when Sonic first was opening, Mm -hmm. they required the servers to wear skates out to the cars. It was super retro and cute. And she actually did that. So she... None of her other coworkers did this. They all wore tennis shoes, but she wore rollerblades. What, What year was this? This was 2007. Okay, so I, holy shit, that's when I worked at Sonic. Shut Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Okay, so I started working at Sonic because I was graduating early and I needed a job that I could only work on the weekends. Um, And they hired me to only work the weekends Mm -hmm. or Friday, Saturday. So I worked there in 2007 because that's when I graduated was 2007. And they offered me, if you roller skated, they would op- they offered you a dollar more per hour if you oh, roller skated. okay. Mm-hmm. So they like tried so that, to entice that was you. Perk. Mm-hmm. They tried to entice you. Um, I was clumsy as fuck. So I was like, mm, no. <laughs> uh, no, no thanks. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that, just a fun fact on the side that she did that. That's um, cute. Her coworkers said that when she started working there, they were, they said that she was very sheltered. They were like, it's almost like she was seeing the world for the very first time Mm. when she was working here. Well, Because that's how sheltered she was. You have to think there is so much that happens from 13 to 16. Like, so much. Like, you find out what a blowjob is most of the time between those ages. You find out, all sexual stuff. I was going to say, I think what it is is that there were a lot of like social cues that maybe went over her head. Mm-hmm. Like naivety. It's yes. not that she was like doe-eyed, like, what? What's a car? Not like that, but yeah. just very certain sexual things would go over her head. She wouldn't think about intentions for certain things. And- yeah. Not having this the social experiences of flirting with boys or talking with you know other people because she's been so sheltered and only been around Christian people, so like this is a secular environment, and yeah. that's completely different. And she's been out of that kind of environment for three mm-hmm. years, so that tracks. Teehee, love that. Just kidding. That's not normal. No, <laughs> not normal. Well. While Erin's working there, she's she's grinding. She's super happy to be out of the house. And you know what's even better, too? 
a boyfriend. Oh. We got a boy. We got a first love. And the first love hits hard. <laughs> I am so torn right now because I'm like, hard. oh. That's so cute. <laughs> Lacey just but, like turtle shelled into herself. She's uh, like, ah, okay. I know, I know shit's gonna go wrong. I know. It's always the boy. Boys are trouble. Just kidding. They're not. This one was though. Anyway. Girls are in, girls are trouble too. Shit. I agree with that. Well, Aaron met Charlie at Sonic. Charlie, let me just give you some background on him. Charlie. Charlie. Charlie was 18 when he met her. So 16 and 18. Okay. Uh, he was known as a hothead. Oh, no. But he was a good old country boy, you know? that That's very common. Those two go together in Texas a lot. He had no serious, like, discipline problems in school, just, like, being rowdy, that mm-hmm. kind of shit. But he wasn't, mm-hmm. like, a troubled kid. He had never been arrested. It, it was nothing like that. He was just kind of, like, he had some anger there, mm-hmm. you know? It was just a little rowdy. So maybe a little bit more intense than a typical teenager, but not as much that he's having a rap sheet. Not that it's a super huge problem. Okay. Well, he actually met Aaron just as he had come back from boot camp for the National Guard. Oh, okay. So he was like, uh, he was in the reserves for National Guard. So he didn't like, after boot camp, have to immediately go back into like schooling and stuff and like continue with the career. He was actually beginning his senior year. So he was one of those seniors that's like 18 before he starts senior year. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if it's a birthday thing or if he was held back, but whatever. It could be, it could have been a birthday thing or a maturity thing because in Texas, like, and I think this might be everywhere, you can you can decide if your child starts kindergarten at five or at six. And so sometimes if your child isn't showing advancement enough to be ready for kindergarten, you can just wait another year. Oh, okay. So it could have been something as easy as that. Ah, gotcha. Well, his parents were divorced and he was mostly with his dad. He never really saw his mom. That's all I got on him. Just kind of a hothead. Wow. Military boy. Dang. Living with dad. Isn't it frustrating doing the research when that's like all you can find and you're like, (sighs) you know. God damn it. I want to know more. Really? There's not much more to know about this kid though. Like he didn't have a troubled past. This is not like... Nothing to write home about. No. Okay. No, no, no. That's all I found of value, I feel. So. Good to know. Aaron's parents, they found out that she was going with him. You know, she was, he was coming to visit her at the sauna. He was coming just to see her skate around on her skates, you know. <sighs> That's so cute. Uh, stealing kisses, you know. It's, it's, it's that first love, that high of... Uh, hormones, whatever. Oh, oh my, and they're fucking raging. They're just so intense at that time. That first love just like takes your heart out, shoes it up, puts it back inside you, squeezes it a little bit, and then like taps you on the forehead and is like, wake up. Mm-hmm. That's what it's like. Mm-hmm. Why did I have to say that anyway? Uh, uh, I was going <laughs> to say, it's like your dogs when they get, it's worse than when your dogs get their zoomies. Like it's just like, <gasps> so much work. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Her parents did not approve. And she's 16. They were like, so they were fine with it at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They weren't like, red flag, you know, they were fine with everything at first. But so one day after church. Oh no, oh no. (laughs) After church. Oh no. Some church members caught 
Aaron and Charlie hiding somewhere in the church, making out and getting super touchy-feely, you know? God. And that put her parents to shame, you know? Like, they were like, oh, God, we've got a sexual deviant on our hands, you know? (laughs) Did you ever, did you ever, like, do shit at church with boys? Listen here. (laughs) I, I was grabbing up on my boyfriend's dick. I was putting his hands down my pants. I was kissing his neck. I, listen. I was a horny little girl. Don't even get me started on church. Church made me horny. (laughs) It really did. Because it's like, don't think about sex, don't think about sex, don't think about sex, don't think about sex. And you're like, sex is wrong. That's all I'm thinking about now. Thank you. It's all I can think about. Yeah. Very much. Yep. I I, I get it. So did too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So her parents were ashamed. You know, they're starting to kind of be like, eh. What's happening? Go away. Maybe don't do that, you know. Uh, and they, they get a little strict with her on, you know, like curfew and things like that. Not shocked. Uh, how often he can call. It, it makes sense. My gosh. So in December of 2007, Erin is begging her parents to let her go back to public school. Her brothers had already returned to public school the, like earlier in the year. I don't know why. What the fuck? They were allowed to go back, but she wasn't, unless it had to do with, like, maybe Charlie and how she was acting because of maybe the stricter rules and stuff. The fact that they pulled her out because a girl almost kissed her, and now she's, like, being caught with this boy um, at church making out— I will bet, I would put fucking money on it that it was because of this that they did not let her go back. They had more control over her. Also, I I can understand because my oldest sister was out of the house um, when I was very young. And so I grew up pretty much in those years in a house with two brothers and me. And being my dad's baby girl... Because my oldest sister, she's not my dad's biological child. I was treated vastly different from my brothers. And there was way more control over me than there were my brothers. And so, and that's very common, I think, in the South, especially in like religious homes, pretty much just like all in the South, even if you're not religious. The but girls cannot be trusted with their shoulders and ankles. You, you cannot. You cannot. They're asking for it. Yeah. And so... I I would bet that that's it was control, so they could control her. You would wager it's because of that. Mm-hmm. But tell me why. Just a little bit later, they were like, "Okay, they gave, they caved in, I, they, were, they caved in, they caved in." I think she was really bugging them about this. Uh, yeah, you know, she was maybe not doing her work and stuff like mm-hmm. out of defiance. Who knows? You know, she but she got them to finally let her go back. And this ensured that Charlie and Aaron would spend even more time together because they went to the same school. It's the classic love story, Mm -hmm. you know? Holding hands in the hallway. Mm, Country (laughs) rose. Strawberry wine. (laughs) Seventeen. Dang it. Now that song's going to be in my head all night. Yeah, you're welcome. Great song. Love that song. I know, right? I love it. We should play that. At the front of the episode instead of our normal. <laughs> we will get copyright strikes so I know. fast. We'll get no, it'll just, just be a really butter. bad rendition by me and you. <laughs> there we go. A parody. It'll be real breathy. Yeah. <laughs> real breathy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they're, they're being all lovey-dovey in school. 
they're getting more serious. Things are progressing quickly. It's just been a couple of months, like three months, I think. That's a long time. When your hormones are that raging. Yeah. Back then. It's a long time. Oh, yeah. First in love, it's a long Mm -hmm. time. You feel like you're married. (laughs) You really do. One night on a backcountry road, Charlie gets down on one knee. Oh, shit. (laughs) You weren't expecting this. I was not expecting that. I was expecting them to do the do. You thought they were going to fuck. I Exactly. I was like, I was expecting them to do the do, not get down on one knee. Boy, are you still in high school? Trust me, they were doing the do, okay? They were doing that. Oh, okay, that's already happened. All right. But Charlie got down on one knee and gave her a promise ring that had belonged to his grandmother. Oh, my gosh. I think it was his grandmother's engagement ring. That's cute. And he was very open about desiring to marry her one day, you know? Not now, but later. Okay, well, at least least it was a promise ring and not a... (laughs) Not an engagement ring. I was thinking when I was reading this, oh, shit, they're trying to get married and run away. Okay. Right? If only they had done that. So her parents obviously had been strict before. Tight curfews, can't be alone super often. Her dad, Terry, said that obviously he had had reservations, but there were just some things about him that didn't sit right with me. And in his gut, he felt like, you know, this is moving really quickly. It's just not, it it made him mad, to be honest. It made him mad. Okay. Uh, so they began to limit even more. But here's my question. Yes. Did it make him mad because it was moving too quickly or because it was his baby girl? Because I, Both? Question mark? I don't feel like if it would have been a good, I say, quote, good Christian boy that she met at church mm-hmm. that you know, they approved oh, of. He wouldn't have had a problem with it. I don't think he would have had a problem with it. Because Christians, they marry quick. They do marry quick. And those relationships move hella fucking fast. So I I have a, a guess or I wager to say that he probably wouldn't have been so against it with it if it would have been just a different boy and somebody that she would have found at church. And, and he wouldn't, I don't think it was the moving... I don't think it was the moving fast. I think it was more of like, okay. oh, he's not the good Christian boy because Christians move fast in relationships. Yeah. And maybe that is the truth of it. But what Terry said was that it was moving really quickly and it made me worried and made me upset. Which valid. Made me angry. Valid. I get that too. Yeah. Uh, so he limited their time to once a week in their home under their watch. Again, controlling. They have to control everything. (laughs) That's not going to work. She's going to be sneaking out the window. She's going to be staying late at work. I have to clean stuff. She's going to be polishing something. Yeah. Polishing a knob of sorts. She's, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) she'll take the knob. (laughs) When you, when parents, especially when it's a motivated with religious beliefs, when they get so controlling over their kids and the kids don't feel like they have any bodily or mind or choice autonomy at all. Yeah. It is... Detrimental. Ah, it is a recipe for disaster. And it's not always to the extreme, but it will be very detrimental to at least y'all's relationship. Minimal. And isn't that the most important thing? Yeah. Be their safe space. Yes. Trust your kids to make... Obviously protect them, but like... Guide them, of course, but like trust them to make their own decisions. Like, 
Are they going to fuck up? Yes. Are they going to get their heart broken? Yes. But that's also part of life. Like how many times did you get your heart broken growing up? How many Mm -hmm. times did you have experiences that you're like, I'm glad I at least got to experience that. And did it make you happy in the moment? Did it make you better now? You know, like (sighs) it's fine. Just give them a little bit of freedom, Jesus. A little bit of privacy it would have been nice. Uh, whoa, well, obviously Aaron is pissed to the max, which I would have been too, and started planning to just run away. So in February, we're in 2008 now. Okay. By the way, February 2008, Aaron got grounded because she was caught talking to Charlie without permission, like on the phone. Oh so gosh. her parents took away Aaron's keys to her truck and her phone. That is extreme. She's feeling trapped. She's in the corner now. You know, she's, somebody put baby in the corner in all the wrong ways. She has nowhere to go. And nowhere. She's getting this kind of extreme p- grounding from mm-hmm. just talking to him. And I would, I I say this because of my experience growing up, I would like to know if the brothers were so controlled and if they got as equally extreme consequences for minimal disobediences. Because mm-hmm. that's how it was in my house. I My punishments were 10 times more worse than my brothers for the same Mm. disobedience. Yeah, I don't think this would have happened with Matthew or Tyler no. uh, if they were with a girl that maybe was... A little risque. Not the parents' favorite kind of thing. But who knows? Because they never got girlfriends. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, she's thinking the only solution here is get rid of parents. Oh, Kind of thing. Yeah, not good. So, Erin Caffey, at 16 years old, made plans with her boyfriend and his friend to kill her family. They talked about it at school, to friends, at church. (gasps) One friend even said that Charlie said that he just wanted to impregnate Aaron so her parents would realize, like, this is real love. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, my gosh. Aaron said, we're too young for this. Valid, girl. Valid. You're making one good decision here. But... (laughs) But the... (sighs) Yeah, the the parents, she's hyper-focused on the parents of the obstacle at this point. So things start to change. Oh, my God. And when you said, like, they were talking about this at school, talking about this at church, were they, like, telling other people? They told friends. I, why? Why? And really what I think is, uh, this is what I think. Now, we've said it before. If you hear someone even playing about, like, oh, I'm going to kill it's, them. Yeah. You should say something to someone. but. I think that it was like, you know, teenagers like, oh, I could just kill my parents. They're like, oh, why can't they just die? You know, like yeah. you say things in passing when you're pissed off as a teenager that you don't mean. And maybe that's how these kids took it. You know, they just thought it was like. I would hope it was something like that because like, if not, like it's like, are they planning like, okay, how would we kill them? You know, if it's getting to that, like say something, damn it. Really, I think most of the friends probably were under the impression it wouldn't happen because Aaron is a sweet girl 
church yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. I want a church girl who go to church and read her Bible. Anyway. <laughs> Is that a real <laughs> song or did you just make yes. that? Oh my God. I don't no, know that song. It's a song from Vine. Oh, from like those years are from the ago. Days, from the I'll days. Send it to you. Okay, we'll link yeah. it in the show notes. There you go. We'll link it. That's funny. So no getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Parents are the obstacle. So I just that, <sighs> sorry, I know I keep interrupting, no, it's but okay. it's just like, no, I can't get pregnant, but we can kill my parents. Like <laughs> I know. Really? It's like I'm too young to have a baby, How, but no. I'm old enough to kill. Jot that down. Like, so you can tell right from wrong. Not well. You can make valid choices uh-huh. with reasonable, you can understand consequences of your actions. Because if you have a baby, you have to take care of it. And that's a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. So you understand consequences. Somewhat. And you still were like, let's off them. I know. I, well, okay, that's, like I said, things are changing. Miracle Faith Church mm-hmm. members notice that her mom seems a little bit distant. Okay. Missing retreats and church events. Now, like I said, her mom is also a minister. So she's like, she kind of has to be involved with a lot of things. Mm. So it's yeah. it's very abnormal that she's missing things. And she wants to be involved. Yes, she does. She Yeah. Right? Like she's, she's like, this is like, they're devoted. Yes. So not only is she supposed to be there, but she wants to be there. So her having to, her missing is probably sending up many red flags. Correct. It's it's piqued interest for a lot of the congregation. So Erin also is notably detached when at church. Even at her grandfather's funeral, Erin's singing was passionless. It was dead. It was nothing to write home about and then some, you know? Wow. And so it was, things were being, there was change in behavior there. Now, around February 27th, so in that same month. And we're still in 2008, right? We are in 2008. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The Caffeys told Aaron, you got to break it off with Charlie. Like, this is it. You're acting weird. I'm not with it. Oh, shit. <sighs> they also had found Charlie's MySpace page that had like sexual references on it and like lyrics that were kind of taboo, you know? <sighs> MySpace. Erin <laughs> actually agreed to the breakup. Um, she was like, yeah, actually, I've been considering it. So, oh, yeah, God. I think I think it'll be best for me to break up with him. So her parents are just relieved. They're like, oh, finally, she sees the error of her ways. She's coming right back to the path that we need her on. Oh, no. So what's the problem here? What What's... What's happened to killing the parents, you know? It's the calm before the storm. You couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> because on March 1st, only a day or two later. I was about to say, that's like two days later. March 1st, 2008. Aaron, Charlie, and Charlie's friend, Matthew Wade, we'll call him Wade, drove to Aaron's family's house. Aaron waited in the car with another friend who was a woman I won't name. She served time, okay. whatever. She wasn't involved in the killings. She was just kind of the getaway driver. Okay unaware of what was happening. So, Wade and Charlie go into the house, go on a shooting and stabbing spree, and after that, they set fire to the house. Whoa! It's extreme. So, in the attack, Penny Caffey, 37, and her sons, Matthew, who's 13, they also called him Bubba. Oh! And Tyler, who's eight. Oh my God, he was eight. All died. 
I okay, I I'm gonna get a little graphic, if that's okay. I have to ask. Did did they shoot and stab everybody and then light fire to I'll them? I'll get to it. Okay, I'll okay. get to it. Okay, I'll get to it. Go ahead. So Terry Caffey, the dad, forty one, escaped. He was shot five times <gasps> but escaped. Five. We'll come back to this. Five. I know. Five shots. So Terry recalls thinking he was gonna die. He told police that, like when police got to him. He said, Charlie Wilkinson had done this because I made him stop seeing my daughter. You got to go find him. Side note about Matthew Wade. So he is 20 years old, two years older than Charlie. And he was just a friend. He often let all of the teens party at his trailer and would provide them with alcohol. Oh, he's that guy. He's that guy. <laughs> Creep. He's the, anyway. he's, the, he's the perpetual high schooler. Yes. So police are on the search for Charlie. They don't know anything about Matthew Wade at this point. They just know they're looking for Charlie. So they find him at Matthew's trailer, laying awake on a mattress in just jeans, random, with a semi-automatic rifle next to him. Uh... And he was taken in for custody. Charlie said, I got nothing to do with this. I got drunk. (laughs) Okay. No big deal. But gradually... Charlie started revealing information, saying that Aaron had called him the day before, expressing that she wanted to kill her parents and wanted Charlie to do it for her. Okay. Why would you do that to somebody that you love? Anyway. Also, does she have beer-flavored nipples? Like, you can say no. You can say no. I know. So, Charlie said that he didn't think he could do it alone, so he paid his friend Matthew Wade $2,000 to assist him with the murders. Two thousand dollars the night of the murder so march 1st charlie picks up aaron and they drive around for about an hour so she can like run the plan through with him and wade make sure it's all good uh but charlie said i begged aaron to just run away with me he said i we don't have to do this i don't want to do this why can't we just run away together like seriously it'll be fine ditto (laughs) And I love that plan, Charlie. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) But she refused. He told police, I don't have a conscience. I joined the army to carry out any task asked of me. So that's what I was going to do for Aaron. Like, he just wanted to be a tool of violence in some ways. But, like, I would say he has some kind of conscience because he knows what he's about to do is wrong and he's begging her I to know. Go, yeah. just run away. Yeah. So He says he's got no conscience, but whatever. Yeah. So he told police that he shot her mom, Penny, until the gun jammed. He couldn't fix it. He couldn't figure out what to do for it. So he slit Penny's throat. <gasps> so he had already shot her, but he wasn't for certain that she was dead and wanted to make sure. So he slit her throat. Oh my then, God. Uh, he said in the time that he had shot her, he, her and Terry, the boys, Matthew or Bubba and Tyler had locked themselves in a room and barricaded the door. Oh my God. Oh my God. But... Wade ended up fixing the gun and gave it back to Charlie. So Charlie ordered the boys out of the room and he said, I couldn't look at their scared faces and ordered them to go into their rooms. He shot Bubba, um, but Charlie was not able to kill Tyler. 
the youngest child, he said that he watched Wade stab <gasps> the child over and over until he went still. Oh, <sighs> my God. You... Yeah. That's deep. <sighs> Disgusting. What? Yeah. Why were the kids even... Charlie expressed great regret and grief, especially about the kids. I don't care. I really don't care. I don't care I just, either, but I do like that there's emotion there. I do like that. I Yeah, like he has a conscience. He just didn't say no. And But uh, the poor kids, rest in peace, Bubba and Tyler. Like I, you deserve I, better. I, I will say, I understand. Your fucking sister's crazy. I understand the crazy hormonal teen love I've experienced it, but I, I, I remember it vividly. It would have never driven me to a point where I would have murdered my own parents. Like, this is where I'm like, there has to be something else going on up there in that noggin. Not saying that it's like trauma related or whatever, but like, you had to have been having some dark ass motherfucking thoughts prior to this. So that, like, your first option is, like, I'm going to kill my parents. Like, no. Do I have sympathy for you and how they were controlling? Absolutely. But, like, the moment you said, hey, we should get rid of them, nope, out the window. Nope, sorry. No. Well, this isn't all. Oh, fuck. So where was Erin while they did this? Because Erin said, obviously, she had a plan for them, but she had a plan for herself. She had a job to do. She didn't just wait in the car. Um she got out and went to her room and had packed a bag and was thanking the boys and smiling as they finished the job for her. Charlie said that they stole about $300, which was just what they could get out of the parents' wallets and just stuff around the house. Uh, They set all the furniture on fire and then escaped. So that's how the house fire started. They just set a bunch of pieces of furniture on fire. Oh, she walked in and thanked them as she packed a bag. Thanked them and smiled. As her brothers and her parents had been brutally murdered. There, she, she, she's something. She's diagnosably something. She's, <laughs> she's, she's something. something, all right. Because after that, Aaron and Charlie went back to that trailer, Wade's trailer, and they had sex. Okay, what the fuck is up with people having sex after they murder somebody? This is, we have said this multiple times. I wonder if times. it's the adrenaline it's rush be. that like puts you, puts you like in that headspace. But like, wh- why is that the appropriate response here? You know, fuck after going on a on a roller coaster, adrenaline rush. You can get adrenaline rush multiple different ways. You don't have to go murder somebody and have good sex afterwards. I just don't. How How do you have sex after doing that? My husband and I go into a fight and I'm like, no, I don't want to fuck you right now. No, I'm not. In the, this is not the vibe. I'm not in the mood. Like, why? I would. I can't imagine being like, yeah, I want to bone you so hard. Uh, I was covered in blood a moment ago. Let me discard my clothing. And then we must commence in the coitus. You know, like what? Yes. <laughs> right. So I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. So I'm telling this, uh, this part of the story just talking about Charlie right now, you know, what he told police after he was found and then taken away. I'm teetering back to when they were found, you know, and taken away. So let's go 
with Wade. So Wade, Matthew Wade, told the officers everything that he did. It was consistent with Charlie's story. He was very nonchalant, showed no remorse. And he also added something that Charlie left out from what Aaron had said and done. He said that Aaron, like as they were driving away from her home that was literally on fire. God. She said, that was awesome. (gasps) Diagnosably something. Diagnosably. She said diagnosably. You don't know. You look like a therapist in your sweater and glasses right now. You look like you could diagnose her. I would let you. I, I could not, but I, I I could refer the shit out of her. <laughs> I could refer <sighs> you to a provider in that scope of practice. But also with her saying, with them having sex, like that, that tracks. I believe that. That was awesome. Now I'm going to go boink you. Like, I hate it. I don't, I don't think that's awesome. Thanks, I hate it. I I loathe it entirely. That's it from Wade. It was very like to the point. Like, yep, I did it. I got paid for it. Whatever. Why would he? Why would he add that? If he's like so black and white, I did it. I murdered them. Why would he lie about something so small as like her just saying something? I think Charlie left that out on purpose. You know, because it made her look even. Worse, it, yeah. It, it made it. It made it look like she wanted to do this for more than just getting them out of her controlling. You know, had get getting her freedom kind of thing. I believe him. Yeah, uh, teetering back to the trailer where everyone's being found and arrested. Uh, an officer that searched the room that Charlie was in found his cowboy boots that had blood spatter on them. They also found shell casings, a used condom, and Aaron was hiding in the closet in the fetal position. Yes, she was. Oh, my god! And you know what? She is a master manipulator. She was crying. Because Aaron was removed. Aaron was removed from the closet. And she acted very confused asking where she was. And she was given a full evaluation at the hospital. And while being interviewed, kept acting, you know, disoriented saying, I'm only 14. I'm 14. I'm 14. Shut your damn face. I forgot about all of this. I know. It's so bad. She said, I woke to a smoky room where two guys in black with swords told me to lay on the ground. And I don't remember getting to the trailer. They gave me something to drink. She's fucking crazy. They did run a toxicology report on her. Test was fully clean, and her lungs had absolutely no smoke residue. Yeah, you don't wake up in a smoky room, bitch. Nice try. Yeah. So uh, they're still kind of like piecing everything together at this point. Uh, But Aaron's grandmother gets to the hospital and tells Aaron, guess what? Your dad survived. Good news. (laughs) And Aaron's like, oh, fuck. What? Um, he had crawled out of the burning home despite being shot several times and got got to, you know, paramedics and, and police and everything. So that's insane. Uh, the fact that he survived it is like, <sighs> go off. Okay. That is I see you. But crazy. He said that he tried, like he wanted to get the kids out. And he said he looked back and he saw like there was no way that he could get them. And he... He said at first he saw his wife and he was like, he knew that she was dead. He said just like from the look of her eyes and everything, he was like, she's dead. I I can't do anything, but let me try to save the kids. He was looking for Aaron. He was looking for his boys. 
and there were so many flames and it was like, I got to get out or I'm not going to make it. Oh my gosh. And it's like the airplane thing. You put the hospital, the air mask, whatever that mask mask, is, the oxygen mask on. Before you help your kids, you yeah, try to save somebody else. I, and and they were already dead at that point, so it was like, yeah, he, they it, were, yeah. Which I'm sure that I I know this is like so fucked up to say, but I'm sure that brought him some comfort in the sense of like not he, it took the guilt away. Like even if I would have tried, all it would have done is killed me. They were already dead, and so like I feel like it would take some of the guilt away for me. I think that's why he didn't feel guilty about leaving um, Penny in the house, even though it was burning. It was like, she's not here. She's not going to feel this. You know, there's, I mean, he had to come to acceptance very quickly for some of these things. And they're they're religious. And so I'm sure that he was like, she's in heaven now. So like, that's an, a very big comfort. Yeah. She's in heaven. She's not in pain for sure. Well, at the hospital, you know, Aaron's treated and then she's sent home with her grandparents. but the confessions came in quickly, you know? Yeah, yeah. They came in quickly. So police call the grandparents who are still on the fucking road with Aaron in the car. And they say, hey, she's been implicated in these crimes. You got to come back here now. So grandmother pulls over the car and she like gets out of the car with Aaron and it's like shaking her like, what did you do? What? What is this? What is oh happening? Oh my gosh. And Aaron starts crying, saying, I didn't do anything. And <laughs> she was taken back to the detention center. Oh, can you imagine being that? Oh, so these grandparents, was it the dad's parents or the mom's parents? Do we know? I'm unsure. You're unsure. I just like. They didn't name them. They, they said grandmother. Okay. So I just, yeah. Can you imagine being that grandma? <laughs> oh, God. Well, Aaron is taken in for questioning. She tells the officer, they're like, hey, we see where you like called him a bunch before this happened. Mm -hmm. What's that about? And she's like, I just called him to try to keep him from coming, but he was hell-bent on killing my family. I tried to stop it. And she just wanted to run away. Oh, oh, okay. Of course. Mm. But Aaron's stories were shaky. It was like, where were you for this hour when she was riding around? You know, like, why did he come pick you up before this, you know? And she kept saying over and over that God would save her. God <gasps> knows the truth. And she was just crying. I mean, fine manipulator. Holy shit. That is top tier. If there was the, you know, the Grammys for manipulation. For who's the master manipulator? Uh, it's Erin Kathy all the way. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, so let's, let's pivot to Terry Kathy. Uh, oh, God, I can't. He sustained so many wounds. His heart was damaged the most, though, Shit. out of all the physical wounds. Uh, like not like not like physical. I, heart. Oh, okay. I'm <laughs> saying like I was thinking, emotionally distraught. I was thinking, how the fuck did he survive a gunshot wound to the heart? Like you have, yeah, okay, okay. Oh no, yeah. no, no, no. His heart was his mental was shattered, heart, emotional heart, because he learned that his daughter was involved. You know, and he was just having a hard time coming to grips with that. How could mm-hmm. you not? It makes sense. But despite all of this, he visited Aaron two times a week at the detention center that she was being held at before trial. And he said he had to forgive her. He said, I, I can't, be, I can't, I love my daughter. Like, it wasn't right, but... That is so hard. I, I still love her. That is so hard. 
it's and you know what? You can't, can't blame him. No. And you can't like you cannot victimize or villainize this man over this. Like And you can't say you would do anything different because you're not in that situation and you won't know what you'll do until you're in that situation. Exactly. None of us know. In January of 2009, Erin was charged with capital murder for her role in the deaths of her mother and two young brothers. She was sentenced to serve 40 years. And at the trial, all through it, the entire time, Terry stood by Erin holding her hand, wiping her tears, being there for her. What a good dad. I have no words. I have no words. I know. Miracle Faith Church called this love an unconditional love, as commanded in Scripture. Romans 11, bless those who persecute you. Based on this verse, Terry actually requested that the men not be given the death penalty, which is a thing in Texas. He said, I want the men to come to remorse and change in time. After this, you know, I said Terry was a minister, but he wasn't like ordained and shit. Well, Terry became an ordained minister later on. He actually remarried about seven months later to a single mom with two sons. I um, I hope he's happy. They divorced quickly after. They divorced. I, okay. divorced. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I should say something. I don't want to like down. I know. I know exactly mm-hmm. what was happening there in his mind. I do not blame him for this, you know? And he said, he does say like, it was my fault. I tried to move on too quickly. Like it wasn't anything... Yeah. With her yeah. kind of that's thing. A, he just tried to move on too quickly. That's a lot of grief to go through in in, it in is. seven months. Mm-hmm. That's a tragic event. And ongoing grief over Aaron fucking betraying This is the you. problem I have in general when it comes to religions forcing people to forgive another party or another person for something that they've done to them. Because... There is a lot of healing in anger, in feeling angry. You have said this before with with like, what are those impact statements? You've said this before too. Mm-hmm. But I really think it's different with Terry. You think so? I feel like it is. I mean, yes, he's probably like been manipulated by religion. But I feel like it's just different because it's his child. And it's like, even it takes scripture out of it. Yeah. He was still going to love her. He was still going to forgive her. Like, it wouldn't have mattered. It's just the kind of person he is. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. I think, and I hope, that he was able to feel all of his emotions. Because what I have seen time and time again with religion, that's like, you need to forgive, you need to forgive, you need to forgive. It also demonizes what people classify as negative emotions, as anger, shame, sadness, things like that. When no emotion is a negative emotion. Happiness can be, Mm -hmm. have a detrimental impact on you if you're using happiness. She was happy about killing her parents. Exactly, exactly. And you can fake being happy all the all day long and it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not doing anything good for your mental health. It's making it worse. So if you're, shoving down those type of uh, types of emotions and just forgiving because you don't want to deal with those emotions that's where a lot of unhe- like that's where a lot of healing can take place if you allow yourself to process through those emotions so i have no problem with him forgiving her like at all whatsoever you do you boo i just hope that you are also processing through 
the gamut and the spectrum of emotions that come with something like this and how tragic it is. I hope I don't understand how you could. I know that it's your child and I have my child and, and I, I don't know how you could forgive them and, and stand by them during the trial as devoted as this man was to Aaron during her trial. I don't understand it. And I do also have children. Not to say I wouldn't have done the same thing or I would have done something different because I don't fucking know and I don't ever want to be in that We're goddamn just not in that position. position ever. But I just that has to take a lot of strength. Like, I feel like that had to take every day. He had to actively make the choice to stand by his child. Yeah, he, in 2012, he told Nightline that he had to learn to accept the death of his family and needed to reconnect with Aaron to help keep her, you know, on the right path and show her that she still, you know, is worthy of love, you know? I can see that. And and it's all he has left from his family, so. It is true. It's all he's got. Um, he's actually now remarried again and had a child with this person. Oh, They're good. They're still together now. Um, in 2014, Aaron has had several interviews. I'm just going to briefly tell you about two. So in 2014, Aaron is on the Dr. Phil show. Oh, shit. Aaron tells Dr. Phil she wanted her parents dead since she was mad, but she didn't, like, mean it. Mean it? And Dr. Phil urges her to take accountability. He's like showing phone records to her where she called them multiple times. She had lots of time to think about this, you know, and to reconsider and walk them through what to do as they were committing the crime. But she says she was not the mastermind, that she is also not a victim, though. She's like, I'm neither. I'm just, it just, she said, it just happened. It just happened. I'm I'm still stuck on the, um, I wanted them dead, but I didn't want them same what I'm sorry she never has a good response I'll tell you that because she refuses to take the accountability for sure well a couple years later she says to Pierce Morgan when I look back on it now this was all just stupid I mean for what they weren't beating me they weren't starving me I had it made I was like yeah girl (laughs) it took you how fucking long to realize this Jesus Christ. I know that your brain's not fully developed until you're in your 20s, but like, come on. I know. Uh, Her interviews are really hard to watch. I bet. They're just, you want to believe her. You can't. But you know you can't. With all the evidence and with the things that she said, you know that Matthew Wade did not lie about that. You just have to know he didn't. Like, is it possible? Sure. I don't think that Charlie meant for things to get out of hand. I don't think Charlie wanted this. I, as much as he's like, oh yeah, I'm a military guy. I'm made to kill. I don't think he really wanted this. But he also had a rough life. Plenty of people have rough lives and don't go out and murder people. But I don't know exactly what his life was like. But like if this was the first person like really showing him love and he didn't want to lose her and he just. It was a survival thing almost. Still not okay. Emotional survival. Still not okay. Like I said, she's sentenced to 40 years. She'll be eligible for parole when she is 59. Yeah, Terry visits her very often. Still talks to her super often. But let's uh, let's talk more about Terry because he. this is the very end here. Okay. Terry started the Forgiveness Project 
Okay. So the Forgiveness Project provides resources and experiences to help people examine and overcome their own unresolved grievances. The testimonies that they collect bear witness to the resilience of the human spirit and act as a powerful antidote to narratives of hate and dehumanization, presenting alternatives to cycles of conflict, violence, crime, and injustice. That's exactly, I took it straight from their page. That's their mission statement. Okay. It's a great project. Yeah. We're going to link it. I've got the link. We're going to link it. If you want to go look, um, you can donate to it if you want. Nice. I, I I do like when people are able to kind of like use these tragedies to try, try to like do something better in the world. That's why I think Terry is healing. And I yeah, think it's different for good. him in this case, because I think he has really come to grips with things. Not saying that was an easy thing or a quick thing. No, I bet not. Because he's the rest of his life, this grief, he's going to have to grapple with. But yeah. I really do think that this project like funneled a lot of his grief energy mm-hmm. into a better... Yeah. A, a better thing for him. I don't know. Yeah. Better place. So right. there are multiple, multiple media sources where you can hear about the story like... Almost every true crime person has covered this case. Uh, yeah. There are specials on Netflix and all that shit. And there's a book called Love Hurts, The True Story of a Teen Romance, A Vicious Plot and a Family Murdered. Like, oh gosh. There's a lot of shit out there yeah. to look at. This is a very popular case. So if you want to look at any of those, literally Google her name. <laughs> We're not linking them all. There's too no, many. No, no. There's too many. But that's it. She. This is it for her. She. I'm sorry, but like I can't. The boys are serving life. Yeah. She's got 40 years. I'm terrified for her to get out because if it was so easy for her to just go to, let's kill my parents and even say like, I know that was fun or that was awesome. I wonder if things have changed just based on like maturity. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But- I found that I found that TikTok and I'm just going to I'm just going to play it for you guys. Um it's at the Jordan um Rainer. She actually was one of the top 9 finalists on The Voice and correction, we are not mutuals. I was wrong. I was trying to get some clout, I guess, and I was wrong. <laughs> We're not mutuals. Okay. So I'm just going to play it for you guys. I spent two days in a Texas prison with one of the most notorious killers in America. And y'all, those two days started 10 years of living hell for me. I've shared parts of this story before on TikTok, but I'm going to go into some details that I haven't shared before and the long-term effects that it has had on me. I was working one time with this inmate, and she was 17 years old, had been tried and convicted as an adult. She was in an adult prison for masterminding and participating in the slaughter of her entire family. Her dad was the lone survivor, but unfortunately, her mother and two younger brothers did not survive the attack. And this weekend, as I'm working with her, I had never met her before, and I had not heard her story. And so she was able to take me for a ride, basically telling me the version of the story that she wanted me to hear. And what I didn't know is that she is a psychopath. And she was getting sick pleasure out of toying with me, watching my emotional responses, and just seeing what she could get away with. And I was totally sucked in. I totally was buying everything she was telling me. And I felt pretty safe around her because she was a small, petite person. But the moment that everything in the room changed was whenever she was looking down. She, she really wasn't even looking at me. She was just kind of looking down and talking real soft like this. And all of a sudden, she just does this. 
And y'all, when she looked up at me that way, there was a black darkness in her eyes that I have never seen in anybody before, and it scared the shit out of me. I suddenly felt extremely vulnerable, like I was in a predatory environment, and I was not safe. I was clearly shaken. I finished my work, got out of there, but I had to come back the next day to work with her for a second day. And this second day that I worked with her, I'm coming into the same prison space that we were working in the day before, and I see her from a distance, and what I saw still shakes me to this day. Now, you're gonna think I'm crazy or that I'm one of those religious kooky people that constantly hallucinates like demonic spiritual things. I'm not. I'm not the kind of person who sees things, but this day I saw something. I'm looking at this girl from down a ways and she looks at me and her face just goes hollow. Her eyes go black and sunken in, almost like I'm looking at a skeletal version of her. And the only thing that I can explain it is that maybe there was something evil around her that almost was standing between me and her and I was seeing through this thing. And it was a way of me seeing that there is evil around her and that I need to be cautious. But y'all listen, this two day weekend with her started 10 years of nightmares, panic attacks, sleep paralysis, seeing shadow figures in my room. To this day, I have had hauntings and unexplained poltergeists in every place I've lived. I'm talking about things being knocked into the floor, things being knocked off of shelves, hearing people crawling around in my living room at night when I'm sleeping in the bedroom above. I wasn't much of a believer in the paranormal before I worked with her, but trust me, it made a believer out of me. Okay, so I am not one, it's super wild. I'm not one to like believe everything of the paranormal. I'm not one to knock it. I'm very agnostic when it comes to that kind of stuff. I wouldn't say that all of that is necessarily tied to her meeting Aaron, but the fact that she could sense like how manipulative she was just sitting in that room with her and talking with her and learning about her is eye-opening, I guess. I don't know. It's like you've seen pictures of her as you've done this research. Doesn't, wouldn't you say or would? Yes. She's unalarming. Yeah. She's unalarming. Nothing notable. Blonde, petite. But no, in her, in her eyes. Tiny little girl. She looks hollow. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but she just looks blank. Yeah. There's there's no emotion. Like, I... She's the one without the conscious. Yeah. Agreed. She still has no regret. Yeah. I mean, and not... She can, like, cry on command. Like, it's hard to watch the interviews with her because she cries so much, and it's like, oh, I know it's I know it's staged. And that's like, I'm sorry, if you're good, a good manipulator, that's scary. But like on the outside looking in, if you haven't dealt with a manipulator, you would sit, like her eyes get rimmed with red. Like she has actual tears. It's not that like fake kind of cry, you know? It looks genuine. That's honestly terrifying. She She's tricked a lot of people. She, technically, I think she still tricks Terry. I think so too. And and I And I know that this is what's healing for him and that's valid and that's his choice and that's great. I just hope he's safe. I just hope he's safe because if she's this kind of manipulative... And I hope she never gets out. And even her getting out in her 50s, like you still have a lot of life to live and he's going to be on up there and he has a whole new family and I would be terrified because... I would hate for her to like try to be a caregiver to him mm-hmm. in his old age. Because what what is her life going to be like? You know, she thought her life was controlling as a kid. What's it going to be like when she's free? She she has felony. She has felonies on her record. 
Good luck getting a job. Aaron Caffey, everybody knows your name. Like, you think your life's controlled then. It's really going to be controlled when you're out. You're going to really have no freedom. Yeah, but she's going to have the freedom to lash out or manipulate. Like, she's, I feel like she'll mm-hmm. probably fall back on her manipulative ways to get by. And that's terrifying when... Most likely. Terry allows her in his life. It scares me for him for the future. I hope I'm wrong. I hope and pray I'm wrong. I hope I'm Mm. wrong too. Well, that was a sad case. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Whoop, Whoop, there it is. There it is. So, if you're in love and you can't be with your love, maybe just like... Eat a contact bar. Don't... Eat some cornflakes. It'll curb curb your sexuality. Is it a, is it, is it a con, Klondike? Is it a Klondike? I said a Klondike. Klondike bar? <laughs> That's what they called me in high school. No, it's not. Anyway. <laughs> Ain't that just the way? Uh, well, let's do our palate cleansers because Jesus let's Christ. Let's do palate cleansers. Um, you go first. Oh, um, that's a pretty face. That's thank you so much. You're no, so okay, listen. <laughs> She's pointing at her dog. <laughs> I lied. Here's my palate cleanser that I almost started singing these lyrics verbatim mm. just now. Give it to me, baby. The song brand. The, the song. God, what song is it? It's by the band Brand New. Jesus Christ, that's a pretty face, the kind you find on someone that I could save. If they don't put me away, it'll be a miracle. Oh. That's, and <laughs> it's by the, the band Brand New, and I used to be obsessed with it. And now when anyone says Jesus Christ, I'm like, that's a pretty face. The kind, <laughs> like, I can't, it's a a default reaction. That's funny. Like, my lizard brain just automatically, like, there we go. Boop goes right back to it. That's funny because you were pointing behind you and I thought you were pointing at uh, Wea. And so you, I thought you were talking oh. about Wea. That's a pretty face. Jesus Christ, that is a pretty she face. Does have a pretty she's got face. a forehead wrinkle. <laughs> I mean. The cutest little forehead she's wrinkle. She's got that forehead wrinkle going on. She's sleepy. I We love our animals here. And that is my palate cleanser as well is we got Telling. two new bunnies and uh, they are... Kiss them. The sweetest little things. There are lion lops. One of them sits in Lacey's jacket on her breast. She does. She's the sweetest. So they're two, they're lion lops. So they're half lion head, half, um, holland lop. So they're yeah, a mixture of the two. If you don't know, lion head bunnies are like the furry of the furry, furry, furry babies. The long haired. Yeah. Long haired ones. And then the holland lops are the ones with the big floppy ears. So our, we got a brown one and a white one. The brown one has like the classic holland lop ears with it flop over. And she's very fuzzy, very long haired. The white one isn't as long haired. She's just like probably a more typical bunny that you would see. And she doesn't have like the, her ears don't flop over like her sisters, but they're so cute. And I love snuggling with them. And they're so sweet. We found out our other bunny is a Netherland dwarf bunny. So she'll only get to be like, I know she's a little dwarf bunny. She'll only get to be two and a half pounds max. These will, (laughs) these will get about four and a half to five pounds. So they will literally double in size to her. They're already bigger than her and she's like two months older than them. You got to kiss them on the nose. They, they they are not bonded. 
And I did not realize this. I, sh- I should have done my research better, but... They fucking fight. They, they, they like, they, fuck up on each other. I did not realize that bunnies are just like cats, and you should slowly bond them, slowly introduce them. And I we did not realize that. And we just were like, here's your new hutch. And Penny was like, bitch, get the fuck out of my house. And she started some fights, so we had to separate them really quick and... Now we have them all in our shed and we moved Penny's hutch into the shed. So they're all living together, but separate. So like they can't get to each other. We've tried some small interactions. They haven't gone well. Um, Penny's a little bit of a- They haven't gone well. (laughs) Penny's a little bit of a bully and she keeps trying to bite them. And my brown one, um, her name's Opie and she's not having it. She's terrified every time she comes near and tries to run away. So we are just letting them live by each other right now. And we are like switch their, like we have the two- Holland Lop or the Lion Lops go in her hutch and bring her out and let her have the rest of the area and we'll have them switch so it kind of like gets their sense used to each other's sense more and like using each other's intermingled yes if you will trying to intermingle them I'm I'm probably going to do that for another week and then I'm going to have Tyler take me on a drive and I'm going to put them in a box together and it's called stress bonding (laughs) it's a real thing I looked it up today so it's like an actual get stressed out and they'll all be like I'm here for you Exactly. It, they comfort each other. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> friend, yep. So they will comfort each other in those um, stress, stressful little car rides. Like you do like 10 or 15. You're literally a trauma coach and you're about to traumatize on purpose. I am about to traumatize my bunnies. I feel bad, but it's you what you're what? supposed to do. It's fine. It's what the experts say. So we're going to start there. The experts are psychopaths. Yeah. You go take them on a little stressful ride, car ride. Uh, if you if you can't take them on a car ride, you can take them on a walk. Or she said, put them in a box and put them on your dryer and turn it on. <laughs> It'll kind of mimic a dry. <laughs> That's so scary. And then, but you stand there and you're there the whole time. You guard them because um, bunnies can be vicious, man. They can cause some damage when they get into fights. So you guard and then- little squeaks are miserable when they're they're so miserable it it is so sad it breaks your heart but then after you do that for like 10 15 minutes you take them and you put them in a box together and you let them calm down together for like just like 10 15 minutes and that's where you start your bonding so it's a very slow and dedicated process that I now have signed myself up for our palate cleanser Lacey is now a bunny expert (laughs) this is it this is all that she is anymore. Just forget about everything. I'm fucking in love with them. I, I go out there to our bunny barn, which it's called the burrow. Um, and my husband even made me a little sign where he would call, like wood burned the words the burrow on this like wooden plaque. And he, because he knows I love Harry Potter and the Weasley's house is the burrow and bunnies. Hell burrow. Yeah. So it was super, super cute. So we call it the burrow. I go out there. I'm like, I'm going to go check on the bunnies. He's like, I'll see you in a couple hours because I literally will just go out there and sit with them. They're so fucking cute. See, it's the best you, form of entertainment. I spend less time on social media now. <laughs> you say that you got them for the girls. You got them for yourself. Don't I, lie to I us. I really did. My uh, brother-in-law was like, so did you get them for the kids or for yourself? And I was like, I got them for the yes. kids, but I used that as a cover because I actually wanted them. And like, I will own that shit. <laughs> I love that. I love them. The kids are just a beard mm-hmm. for you and the bunnies. Mm-hmm. 
that's it. Yep. That's all. But well, yeah. that's it for us today, folks. That is it. That's all, folks. That's all, folks. I did that wrong. I don't know what that sound was. Anyways, moving on. If you're in love, if you have a first love, just use a love testometer. Mm-hmm. Don't kill anyone. Don't kill your parents. Please. Be happy. Especially with samurai swords. Be happy. We hope you're healthy. And we hope you are having a wonderful beginning of 2024. Go drink some water, bitch. You're dehydrated, okay? And unclench your jaw. That's right. Pal. And if you're like me, unclench that asshole. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, as usual, do all of the things because it helps us out in this world of podcasting. So like it, subscribe to it, leave a nice review. Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network and is produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Howell. If you are having any problems with your mental health um, or if you're in a domestic violence situation, we are going to have links in the show notes to help you out. Um, Any kind of resources that you may need, they are there as always, as usual. Till next time.